Hey, hello. Hi, and welcome. Welcome. (laughs) It's like we're always surprised that we're starting a podcast. Like, what? What what are we doing? Every episode, we're like, oh, hey, didn't see you there. Oh, this is weird. Let's, I guess we should just record this conversation we're casually having for no reason. Um, I'm hoping that we just happen to have headphones on and schedule the time to record. Uh, so oh, hey didn't see you there yeah i guess my cognac. since we're <laughs> since we're both on here talking we should probably record some gig tales How yeah what if we what if we talked about some stories from the stage stories from all around the stage my eye is like <laughs> burning <laughs> i'm just <laughs> uh listeners ashley is like in full-on cardiac arrest of the eye right now it's i took my glasses off i'm rubbing the eye like it's just crying it's just burning i don't know it's weird is it allergies or do you have the no no it was just i think a rando like it just got dry or something happened i don't know i don't even have like a fan it's weird okay then we're back now that i can see we can talk about gig tales oh hey really didn't see you there because my eye was falling out of its socket yeah because it was just (sighs) on fire in, in the socket um so here we are we're talking about gig stories and things um and so, like, okay, so last week we brought you back a classic format, the Questions Crockpot. And in true Questions Crockpot form, um, after the episode is when all the good ideas came. Like, because we don't, we don't think about the questions or share the questions ahead of time. So mm-hmm. then afterwards, like, I like to sit around with my husband. I was sitting around, like, my family. And I was like, oh, what would you have answered, you know, these questions? And, Terry, we had a big miss, like... We really, yeah, biggest mess, the biggest. So immediately when I asked my family what vegetable Tina Turner would be, my husband, like as if it's the most obvious thing in the universe, goes Tina Turnip. Like, yeah, my God, how did that's why he is the executive producer? It's true of this podcast because he's the ideas man. Mm -hmm. He just absolutely nailed it and i'm embarrassed to say that we didn't nail it and what did they say taylor swift was Uh, um they said taylor swift i have to i don't know let's look in our text chain here yeah that's the only way i remember the honeydew melon the honeydew melon. i was like duh yeah obviously honeydew melon and then my dad goes no nah, i think she might be like a radish like about tina turner and i was like what that's what i said it was so weird like who i apparently i'm i want to know if anyone else out there immediately thought radish like before radish. i said it was that your thing or is it just weird like father-daughter telepathy you know yeah it's your DNA. Um, but even perhaps more importantly, because I only because I'm more important, um, <laughs> I was sitting down to dinner with Sean, who he'll never hear this. He'll never know I'm talking about him. No, he doesn't listen. Um, and we know he doesn't listen to the podcast and he doesn't even know that we're recording. Mm-hmm. And I brought up the friends question and I said, all right, what musical genres are they? And I said, let's start with Monica. And I actually said to him, I said, I want to know your answer to Monica without telling you mine first I want to hear what you come up with because I think we had kind of like a hardish time yeah and he I said so you know she's really type a she's this she's that she's very regimented she's very put together and without being prompted he goes she's a marching band (laughs) and I fucking slammed the table and went are you fucking kidding me (laughs) are you fucking kidding me did you were you listening? Because we have security cameras in the house recording all the time. That's right, people. You heard me. <laughs> I was like, did you, were you watching the security cameras? Do you like go back? And he was like, no, why? Why? And then I just <laughs> immediately texted you like, Sean's at marching band. Oh but, my God. It's, yeah, the, it's the right answer. I mean. I guess it is. Yeah. It, there's nothing else. There's, that was it. So yeah, I think that's awesome. meant to be. Um, in, in other news, uh, we got a text from Tom's brother this, this week that we should share. Um, he said he was at a rich person brunch 
<laughs> and people, he overheard people complimenting the honeydew melon. Wow. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have determined that the honeydew melon is for the 1%. Mm-hmm. You think there's, there's a, a whole thing. There's a whole conspiracy behind it. Mm-hmm. It's a DNA thing or like the second your bank account reaches a certain level, mm-hmm. I think they inject you. Mm-hmm. So you can eat honeydew melon. I don't know. It's like they give you a taste bud that, I don't know. uh, Nate said that it tastes like the runs of a watermelon. (laughs) That was great. Great description we hadn't thought of before. Oh, maybe it's a hand in hand (laughs) thing where like the gene that makes you like an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur is also the one that, that is connected to liking honeydew melon. Uh, okay, 23andMe, sponsor us or something like that. Like sponsor us. There's got to be some something in the D. De- it's like how people think cilantro tastes like soap. Like yes. there's some some people, like some people have it. I have, but see, I like honeydew. I think it tastes good and I'm not a rich person. So I don't know. So don't honeydew know. tastes like nothing to me, which tells me that I must be Charlie Bucket. Like there's no... <laughs> other explanation for like oh. i don't even hate it Cheer i don't even charlie <laughs> like also what was with that family why were they all just fucking laying in bed why were they in the same all four grandparents in the same bed like, my my four grandparents lived on the same street two houses down from each other the really? entirety of yeah oh my god we haven't talked about this that's my parents, so cool my parents have known each other since they were like five years oh, old. Oh man! Because they grew up two houses down from each other. But That's like, cool. I maybe saw them in the same room together like three or four times tops. Yeah, they weren't like swingers in the same bed. Oh no. Huh. Um, so I also wanted to share this one update on the evening where I was slamming the table because Sean had invaded my brain in yeah. some like. Inception. I don't know, some elaborate thing. inception scheme. Mm-hmm. We were actually out to dinner at one of our favorite um, restaurants that we love to go see live music at. Um, it's a traditional Irish music. They have like a session and then sometimes they have like bands come in, like Irish bands come in. Um, and I was like, how are they doing this? So they have a tent, like one of those event tents, which they, they actually always have that out. And they have seating on the patio. And I heard, could hear the band playing. So we walked by and I looked and they have a big, I don't know how to explain it, a big plastic screen, like yeah. plexiglass screen, just yeah. blocking the, it's not even really a stage. It's just kind of like a little yeah. platform corner yeah, blocking them from the uh, restaurant patrons. Is it like a, almost like a, like a shower curtain situation no. almost, or is it like... It is- plexiglass hard yeah it's like being at a hockey game yeah is really what it's like i mean that's smart the only thing is the sound right so like if as long as you can put the speakers like on the sides of it or in front of it so that the sound isn't getting muffled then that's great and i I think a few things too like so it's traditional irish music so they don't have a lot of amplified um instruments as it is and they kind of put them in the corner Mm -hmm. of the tent so like with that plexiglass screen, I feel like the sound, we were outside of the tent and we could hear them perfectly clear mm-hmm. and it, it sounded great. I think, yeah, I think depending on the type of instruments and the type of music, it might not be a great setup, Yeah, but yeah, if they had amplification, you could put those to the side, which I think is a great answer than yeah. great. Um, but yeah, it was, the sound was <clears throat> awesome. I thought they did. I thought it was a great answer. So That's cool. Yeah. People are getting creative. It's good. Keeping the music alive. I mean, I think I've seen too many of my friends posting that they've gotten back to playing gigs and they have people that are just like coming up with no masks and they're either intoxicated or they just don't believe in it and they're getting way too close and they're, you know, so I think a lot of uh, Uh, musician friends would appreciate something like that. I I wonder like if there's something that, musicians can they should whoever get on this and make some money and then sponsor us because like drum shields like drummers will bring their own drum shields right with their Mm -hmm. plexiglass they're normally made to shield the sound and then you mic the kit and whatever so why couldn't they make a shield that has a stand attached to it right that goes in front of the singer's face and 
you know, but plexi so you can see and whatever. And yeah, I mean, yeah. there's no reason. <clears throat> I also had a friend who texted me this week that he was like, oh, I was at the Boston sax shop this week. And I said, I'm pretty sure that's a felony right now. <laughs> but he was like, no, no, I was just getting a repair. I was like, all right, I don't, I don't know about that, but okay. <laughs> uh, not a good place to be. Yeah, but that plexiglass thing seemed like a good answer. Yeah. Still no trumpets, though. Not allowed. Oh, we deleted trumpets along with how I deleted the 80s. So I will never, ever forgive you I for know. that. I got a lot of flack for that one, but I stand by it because I, I just do. That was also an insanely hard question. Yeah. Like, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. That you you did that to yourself, really. I did. I did. True. Tina Turnip. <laughs> <laughs> my password now <laughs> God. Uh, so, so this week terry what have you you've prepared oh, something yeah. for us i have and i almost feel like this is an insult so uh because you know the story and so oh. if you actually want to chime in and add details and like please i could just do. i could just go like watch some netflix and yeah <laughs> get out of here get out of here just let you do your thing and then yeah i'll contact no, big I, melon for their money I, <laughs> no i'm i'm excited i have i don't know just so, for the listeners i have no idea what story te- terry is going to tell but she has only told me that i already know this story so the, i, I the, will so, chime in yeah yes please do with your deets yeah. so in 1966 america oh. the united states the Beatles planned what they didn't yet know would be their final tour of the U.S. to take place in August of 1966. Okay. So they were um, touring their record at the time. Their big new release, Revolver, was coming out. So they were like at the peak of their popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, big time for the Beatles. Okay. So as part of this tour or as they did at the time and they still do i think i think a lot less about bands touring new records just since like spotify has taken over yeah and i know they still do it but i don't know it doesn't have that same like feel in the past like maybe five or so years i feel like is when that's really changed a little bit yeah um so as part of this they do promotion which you know you still do so as promotion for that tour, a journalist who they'd worked with multiple times, Maureen Cleave was her name. She was going to run an article like a, um, like, I don't know, a profile on each of the Beatles in a local okay. magazine in the UK, not in America. So okay. this is a UK publication. So she went over and she did interviews with each of the four Beatles with intent to print this publication. And she, each, she interviewed each four separately for like their own profile. This was done in February of 1966. Mm-hmm. So during John Lennon's February 1966 interview with Cleve for the article, John Lennon made his now famous claim uh. that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus mm-hmm. during that interview. Mm-hmm. So in its entirety, the quote was this. Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right and I'll be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting it that ruins it for me. And I would just like to say that who knew rock and roll would go first? Um, <laughs> I'm, hey, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, that is, it is on its way out, if not already in the car and heading down the highway yeah yeah um so he she does the interview in february 66 the publication is printed in march of 66 in the uk so uh now keep in mind if john lennon said that now we'd all know within five minutes it would be all over Twitter. It would be in every magazine. And then like, there'd be a big burn and fizzle and we'd like probably all forget about it in a month. Yeah. But that's not how things work back then. So he did the interview at that time. She put everything <laughs> together. She put it in the pro- profile for the publication in March of 1966. So 
in the UK, where it was first published, it actually went over with absolutely no fuss. No one gave a shit. Of course, because they all get it. Do you think, do you think now, like, I agree with what you said, like, it would just be, it would be like a flare and then whatever, it'd be fine. Do you think that's the, I mean, before, even like when we were younger, there wasn't like the, the internet, <laughs> right? And we didn't have like artists like tweeting and posting and all this stuff and like directly communicating. So really like I, I remember I had to buy magazines to read interviews with my favorite yeah. musicians and my favorite actors and things. So now there's so much information exchange that like it's overcrowded. So things don't take up the space for as mm. long where like if this was his interview maybe like this was an inter- his only interview in in march or even in whatever like that was published or one of a few interviews with the beatles right. that published that month or whatever right yeah versus today when it's like every day there's multiple posts and things like that from artists Ev- everyone is literally saying everything all the time yeah. like we're just tweeting and you know Facebooking, I guess, our shit. Like, yeah. I don't know if anyone uses Facebook anymore, but yeah. Um, yeah. And on the one hand, we have so much information. But then, so actually, kind of one of the reasons I was thinking about this is because it feeds into that whole thing now where I feel like everyone is so offended by everything now. Yeah. So I, I can't quite make a heads or tails of it. Like, were people more offended then or are people more offended now? I know. I, I mean, no. I think people are definitely, I think people are more offended now. What I wrestle with is like, I go between be, being really annoyed by that and being like, come on. And also being like, well, but people are like better educated and like more like woke, if you will, <laughs> right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So some of it is like a good thing. Cause it's like, no, cause now we're just like, we're calling shit out and like, we're bringing attention to things that are like, not okay because people are more educated and that's a good thing that's evolution and like we're learning and growing and evolving but then I do I think more often than not I find myself on this side of like come on like yeah it's it's frustrating because I do too and I think it's specifically the term offended like someone referred to something that I was truly against like a statement that someone made or something that happened Mm -hmm. and I was like I can't stand that person. Like, I'm not going to listen to them. I'm not going to pay attention to whatever. And a friend of mine made reference to me being offended by it. I said, I wasn't offended by it. Mm. I didn't like it. And I don't agree with it. And I'm going to no longer follow that person because I've learned something about them now. And I very much don't agree with their stance on that. And now I know, oh, I don't want to give them any of my money because I don't want them to like profit off of my thing. Like, I think it's, the idea of being offended where it's like I'm so offended and I demand an apology and yeah. like I it's, it's a fucking apology it, and I think like there's inherent entitlement in being yeah. offended right like yeah. somehow I don't know uh, that's yeah. not a fully baked idea it just came to me but like yeah I, I get you yeah yeah because they have the right to say whatever they want and I have the right to say like I yeah. don't want any part of that like yeah. whatever yeah um so Okay. In the UK, so be also, more like the Brits is what we're saying. <laughs> well, yeah, but I guess pr- people are probably offended there too. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so British people as a whole, so no one cared. The mm-hmm. thing came out, people read it, bing, bang, bong, whatever. Um, and church attendance really was like declining heavily. Uh, it's And as a whole, the UK is just not a religious country. Like zealotry just isn't a thing in the UK, mm-hmm. but America has becoming like an increasingly religious country over the years. Like we've kind of had like a flip flop, uh, in terms of like religious fanaticism. Um, so no one cared Went over months go by, whatever. Mm-hmm. By the time that got to America, there were radio bands, the infamous record burnings that we've seen, and even clan demonstrations against the Beatles. Oh, yeah, which fucking listen, if you got the fucking clan protesting against you, you've probably done something right. So maybe go John Lennon for once. <laughs> um, ticket sales, which they for the Beatles, which typically they sold out and set records for all these venues, 
they actually ended up underselling and in some cases even cost the promoters money on their tour. So it like, I mean, think of the Beatles in fucking 1966 and this affected them so hard in the US, they were losing money on tours. So while the original article was published in the UK in a magazine, pre-internet, remember, so this was in March, uh, come July before their US tour, copies of the interview in the magazine were sent to local DJs around the US. So they're not getting this till months later. A DJ in Birmingham, after reading the article, put a ban on playing Beatles records openly. And that same DJ even aired a segment on July 29th. So keep in mind, their tours in August, right? Mm -hmm. Even aired a segment on July 29th where he asked the listeners to call in and tell them what they really thought about John Lennon. And it was just an airing of grievances. Like John (laughs) Lennon gives a flying fuck. Like he didn't give a fuck about anything. Let alone, like he didn't even care what his fucking bandmates thought of him like he isn't we're gonna learn in this that john lennon actually cared about one thing and i that was another thing that as i was kind of reading this so originally i was going to tell this story just about their show at candlestick park Mm -hmm. and then as i was like reading more and more into it i was like oh this is how all this happened (laughs) you went down the the wormhole (laughs) the can of wormholes can of wormholes it always opens up that old can. Um, so it was just like an airing of grievances. It was Festivus Eve. They were all just like, fuck that guy. He's a ding dong. Oh my God. Um, so radio stations across the country followed suit from that DJ and they all put a ban on Beatles music. So you couldn't even listen to the Beatles on the radio for a time. Southern states held those famous record. And here's my fucking favorite little tidbit memorabilia burnings, which jokes on fucking you guys (laughs) like it's like when everyone burned their nikes like with the whole all the colin kaepernick it's like guys guys what did you (laughs) what are you doing what are you doing like stop take a breath think about what you're doing like no nothing makes me happier to than to think about these enraged people burning their like first edition unopened Beatles lunchbox or some shit like right and how much shit but good. like how much stuff would have been worth something today precisely right? oh, precisely you just jokes on you 100 percent mm-hmm. uh these these burnings also included burning effigies <laughs> of the band oh, people people <laughs> They were so mad. They were so mad. So these radio bands and record-burning protests eventually spread to the other, um, like the predominantly Christian countries, like I think it was Mexico and Spain. uh, I'm sorry, Catholic countries, high Catholic um, population countries around the world. So it wasn't even just the U.S. that kind of got in on the burnings. And even the Vatican made a condemnation against the Beatles (laughs) because of Lennon's (laughs) statement. Yeah, it, things get out of control. Okay, I so mean, do, okay, isn't that kind of proving his point? Like, the Vatican stops whatever they're doing. They're Vaticaning. <laughs> they're poping and they're Vaticaning, and they're voting on voting on things from the Bible to change rules whenever the fuck they want. But don't get me started. And they stop all of that to like, yeah. Re- so he, the, they're proving his the point. The Pope was in the middle of waving his Pope stick. He was in to, his mobile, his Pope mobile. Yeah, he was poping. Pope he was poping around he was town. Poping around the house, mm-hmm. and um, he someone was <laughs> like, John Lennon said that Christianity isn't popular anymore, and he was he slammed down his Pope stick, and he was like, "Stop everything!" Right. Um, I wish I spoke Italian. I'd say that in Italian. Yeah, it's probably sounds or whatever, angrier. whatever <laughs> language. The it probably it probably sounds like uh, I don't know. I don't know anything about Italian. <laughs> Any, um, anyway, so, so okay. but as, here's but here's a fucking fun side note. Mm-hmm. Along with Lennon's interview, right? The other three did interviews too. 
Ringo, who fucking cares? He probably talked about a doll for an hour and a half, whatever. Um, <laughs> Ringo, you don't matter. Also sponsor us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in the same profile, uh, Paul McCartney has a quote. He was quoted as saying that America is America. Holy <laughs> shit. That America is. Paul McCartney invented the term America, America. actually. <laughs> Fun fact. <sighs> Paul McCartney was quoted in that same article as saying that America was a, quote, lousy country <laughs> due to its racism, which is not untrue. I mean, he, he used much more specific language than that, which I chose not to use. Um, um, oh, goodness. Sorry, computer <laughs> computer glitch right there. I think my computer hurt us. Um, and in George Harrison's interview for that same profile, Harrison, who's a noted spiritualist, he's always been like a questioner of religion and like what is real and all this shit. Very like very spiritual dude. Uh, he also made comments, questionable comments about, re- about religion as well as the Vietnam War, which was like a huge topic at the time. And he said, quote, if Christianity is as good as they say it is, it should stand up to a bit of discussion. But somehow Lenin's quote was the one that drew the ire from the public. Mm -hmm. And I think there were a few reasons for it. She when she published this or when they I guess the magazine would have published it when they published it, they like printed this picture of John Lennon where he was like looking over the sea and in the headline said like John Lennon looking for controversy and loving it or something. So I think it was kind of like centered on him. Like the conversation was like geared towards him and that he was trying to be controversial. It has something to do with how the interview was presented. So I think the focus got put on him, even though the other two said some crap. Mm-hmm. Um, So he like was getting all just getting the brunt of this. So Brian Epstein, as a result of all of this, people were getting really mad. He started to believe that their lives were actually in danger. So at first, which, which I mean, these people seem pretty intense. So it does kind of seem like the, the mob coming after them, right? Like the angry mob. And they had to go to press conference after press conference after press conference about Mm -hmm. this. And it was all they would ask about. Now, keep in mind, fucking Revolver is coming out. Yeah, but like the arguably like one of the best albums. Yeah. Yes. And George Harrison had already been getting wary of um, touring as a band and he wanted to be like a studio band. Yeah. So then this was going on now, like literally their arguably their best, like most developed, like mature album was coming out Mm -hmm. and all they can talk about is John Lennon shit. They had to answer. He had to answer questions about it at every press conference. Mm -hmm. Even the other Beatles were getting annoyed. Like you can see it in the interviews and stuff. They're like, Jesus, fuck. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, the Beatles, fuck. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's right. So Brian Epstein was actually starting to get worried. He thought their Mm -hmm. lives were in danger and he kept pushing John Lennon to apologize, but (laughs) Lennon didn't want to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Don't see that happening. Yeah. He was also pushing John Lennon to get a fucking haircut. (laughs) But not happening yet. No. Um, but he didn't want to do it because ultimately he said his quote wasn't about and and I agree with him. He wasn't saying that the Beatles were better than Jesus or more important or like he wasn't, he said he was like, listen, my quote, my statement isn't about religion or any kind of anti-God or anti-Christian thing. And he had to keep saying that. It's just about the declining numbers of churchgoers in the UK. That's what drove it, which is true. It was a true statement. In fact, other publications and even a clergy member, and I'm, I actually didn't write this into my um, story. This is just something, a piece of information that I know. So I, I, I apologize, forget his name. Like a clergy member in the UK came out and s- supported John Lennon. He was like, John Lennon's right. Like we're losing people and the Beatles are going to be more popular than Jesus. It, like he's not being doing saying anything to offend anyone or like to say he's better than jesus like he's right he's just stating a fact about popularity Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. right so yeah 
It's not a ranking in, yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he just said it was a, just a commentary on the churchgoers in the UK. Right. Um, but ultimately, his extreme guilt for having potentially put his bandmates in danger, among some other things, finally led him to just apologize at a press conference. Um, and he said something to, the, so Brian Epstein, who, you know, he's there. He's their manager. He's also like their handler. He's like their like stepdad in a lot of ways too. You know, there's yeah. a there's there's a really good anecdote in I think it was Patty Boyd's book, her autobiography about them going out to dinner after Brian Epstein died and um the bill came and they all looked at each other and they went, "What do we do?" None of them had paid a bill at a restaurant before. Like oh my God. this this man was there everything so he yeah. pushed lennon he was like you have to apologize like people are going to get hurt and it was even reported and that i think by one of their press agents that john lennon broke down into like a fit of tears because at one point which we're going to get into in a second he got so upset and he felt so stressed out and so guilty about the danger he put the other bandmates in that he was like, I can't believe I did this. Like, I'll apologize. I'll please just, I'll do it. Like he felt sick over what he had done to them mm-hmm. so, or potentially done, put them in harm's way. So yeah. it turns out, turns out he was kind of a decent dude. Um, so I Brian mean, Epstein I guess was, that's like, yeah. I guess it's like, even, you know, it's one thing if it's just like affecting him, but I think, yeah, there's some somewhat of a conscience there where it's like, okay, I can be a sarcastic asshole, but like if it starts affecting my friends and stuff, like I don't think yeah. he ever wanted to put anybody else in harm's no. way. Like that's, yeah. No. And he made a lot of kind of like brush off statements about it for yeah. a long time until yeah. they actually went on tour and he started to see the effects of what happened. Mm-hmm. And that's when apparently he had the breakdown somewhere in the middle of this where he was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to get someone killed. Um, yeah, so I Brian honestly had- didn't realize like obviously everyone knows about the that he said that like it's a common quote. Right. But mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know that the extent of the fallout. Oh, yeah, it's bad. Yeah. Um, I know, right? You just think that like we're more popular than people, Jesus. Uh-huh, like, that was controversial, but what yeah. a thing! People were mad, and I think I've seen the pictures of like the record burnings and stuff. Um, so Brian Epstein also had to do damage control in the United States <laughs> because, yeah. you know, among other things, he was really worried for their lives and safety and all these things. So, um, after the apology, so finally he come he came out in this press conference. He was like, "Fine, but if you want me to apologize, I'll apologize." He like tried to explain it and all these things. He finally just said, "I'm sorry." After the apology, a lot of news outlets actually came out and they like withdrew his their like condemnation of him. The Vatican accepted his apology and like withdrew their statement on him and the Beatles and wow. all that. Stuff. Okay, so well, that's good. It is good, I guess. Um, So the Beatles went on tour anyway. Mm -hmm. And initially, the tour was littered with protests and angry crowns. Crowds. Crowns? Am I having a stroke? (laughs) Angry? People were wearing angry crowns. crowns. They were just stabbing people with those pointy crowns (laughs) everywhere. Instead of just the points, they were knives. They were just knives. They were flame shooters. (laughs) They were headbutting each other. ramming um tour was littered with protests and angry crowds at one concert the Ku Klux Klan nailed a picture of the Beatles to a cross and burned it the Klan came out to picket and protest some other uh tour dates in other cities as well yeah this was it was no joke and finally this all culminated for one of their tour dates in Memphis yikes so The city itself actually tried to keep the Beatles out of Memphis. They tried to cancel their tour dates because the city council got together and held a vote to cancel the tour. Like, what is this rage against the machine? Like, you you can't just vote down a tour date. Is it Utah? Utah. Yeah, sorry. I should have. What is this? Utah? What is that? 1998 or whenever the hell that happened? (laughs) God. So they voted to cancel the concerts, but they went ahead anyway. 
even though they the city council tried to cancel it and their explanation was because the Beatles are quote not welcome in Memphis but it went ahead they weren't able to stop it so outside of that so a clan one clan member openly condemned the Beatles in the press for quote supporting civil rights because another thing was like these interviews these profiles were printed in magazines that were more like progressive in the United States. And they were more about like civil rights and like equal rights and things like that. So that was an important time, right? Like what was going on? Yeah, absolutely. So the Klan was against them for two reasons. Um, Quote for supporting civil rights Mm -hmm. and a Klansman outside of the Memphis show told a reporter that the Klan were quote, a terror organization and they would use their ways and means to stop the Beatles performing, which kind of was a validation of their fears that their lives were in danger. Like, I mean, Epstein wasn't wrong. Mm -hmm. So despite all this, the Beatles said that by the time they got there, the general atmosphere was actually pretty positive and they didn't feel much tension any longer because they had said on a lot of their other tour dates, there was like just a lot of tension and like a bad vibe Um, anywhere they went. Like you could tell and like, you know, the audience was lower. The energy wasn't very high, all these things. So they said when they went there, they actually felt like good, a good vibe. Mm -hmm. But despite a generally good vibe and turnout, in the middle of the show, an audience member threw a firecracker on the stage. What? Which led the Beatles to believe they were being shot at. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like um, the smoke on the water story, right? right? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. And so, but they continued playing and two staff members standing on the side, I think they were their press agents and their tour manager, said they saw it and they knew what was going on. But when they saw it and they heard it, they saw the three Beatles standing on the stage turn and look at John Lennon. And they later said that they were looking at him because they were expecting to see him be gunned down. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was like very... Oh, yes. <laughs> this... Yeah. yeah, like creepy. truly. Um, so once they heard, so uh, as a result of this and other things, like George Harrison had already been worried about touring and like fucking Revolver got no attention on this fucking Revolver. <laughs> like it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Then, yeah. Um, the band decided to no longer tour officially. Mm. Like it had been kind of on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Um, George had actually threatened to quit the band unless they could go forward as just being a studio, mm-hmm. uh, studio recording band at one point. But George Harrison's not, you can't fucking replace George Harrison. No. And doing no live touring. No. So this kind of just like solidified that for all of them. It made yeah. the decision easier. Mm-hmm. In fact, George Harrison, when they left Candlestick Park, I don't even think I wrote this in the story, he was like, that's it. The Beatles over. Like mm-hmm. he thought that was the end. He didn't think they'd go forward with that plan. Mm-hmm. So he just thought it was the end. Um, so- another thing to like note at this time was like security was not like what it is today. Right. God, so no. that's, how, that's, I, I didn't realize that the, the, the demise of the touring was, in in sync or related to that the com that comment from john but i had always thought like they stopped touring because you know security really couldn't keep up with what they needed like how big they were and how just how massive they were like they didn't have what we have today so i think it was a combination of those things right because like george they were already annoyed with it and george was already like way off board with it before he was he, he just threatened to quit. He didn't want to tour well before this even happened. Right. And you're right. Like you think about those early videos of the Beatles and it's all people screaming and pushing and security can't keep up. Yeah. And that's annoying. But then when it becomes a physical threat to your life. Right. Like it was I, at first, it's like screaming girls climbing on the car as they're driving. And you're like, Oh God, like that girl's going to just fall off the car and get crushed. But like <laughs> then it becomes like their cl- safety. The clan, yeah. yeah. The clan when it is goes, like, yeah. yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it, all this really was like, it was just kind of like a solidifier of that decision. Yeah. They all got on board and like, there was, you know, it's one of those things where like, not that this was a good situation, but there's a, there's a silver lining to everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, we're just not fucking touring anymore. Yeah. Like we are, there was no struggle to it whatsoever. So that just like solidified it. So, um, so by the time they got to their last tour date, um, uh, being the last stop on their planned stop on their 66 us tour was at candlestick park in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It was on August 29th, 1966. So that was it. They knew it was the last. So there were 32,000 tickets available that day, only 25,000 sold. Like, wow, that is how badly this thing affected them. Like, can you fucking imagine 7,000 people just not going to see the Beatles? Right? Like, no. I mean, that seems like insane now, right? Yeah. Wow. Insane. Um, So additionally, because of extra fees for union musicians, there are union musician requirements sometimes, their own guarantee and some other costs, they actually played at a loss for the promoter. This concert cost the promoter money. Wow. Uh, So the Beatles, Beatles. the fucking Beatles cost (laughs) them money on a tour. (laughs) Like tours are supposed to be where you get your fucking money back. Yeah. The only place you make the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So the Beatles at this point knew going into it, it was going to be their final concert. It was, mm-hmm. it was decided before this, the decision was already made. Like we're done, man. Wow. So they took really great care to like, um, remember the evening and mm-hmm. like, um, they all took pictures. They all got cameras and they were taking pictures. Uh, Paul McCartney asked a press agent to make a rough recording of the performance. Mm-hmm. And you can see a video performance of it. It's like on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So the recording of the performance that he asked this person to make notoriously got cut off in the middle of the last song, Long Tell Sally, because he forgot to flip the tape. (laughs) So it just... Because that was a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Kids, uh, flipping a tape is... Hold on, kids, a tape. A tape, yeah. uh, So (coughs) so that tape... Um, so the press agent made a copy and Paul McCartney was given the original copy. So as far as I know, Paul McCartney still has the original copy of that tape. I'm, I'm That's curious. Cool. I didn't even follow up to see if he did. That's cool. So they like commemorated it and it was really just like, they all knew going into it. This is it. And like I said, George Harrison, when they left, he was like, that's it. I'm not a Beatle. Like he kind of thought it was just going to end, but they kept going as a studio band. Um, so talk about foreshadowing. Something that is important to know is that in a 1966, a December 1966 article for the Los Angeles Times West, a Beatles pre- press officer referred to this incident and everything that was going on. And he said, quote, I'm seriously worried about someone with a rifle. After all, there's no Kennedy anymore, but you can always shoot John Lennon. Mm-hmm. And that's what Mark David Chapman did. And I I don't want to say it was because of what John Lennon said, because that's very victim blamey. Like Mark David Chapman murdered John Lennon because he was a murderer. Yeah. Because he clearly had issues. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But he was a born again, Christian religious fanatic. And he, he, those words were like, what drew him to murder Lennon? (sighs) Because he felt he was like, yeah, a phony and he was attacking religion and all who knew fucking 14 years later mm-hmm. that someone would still come out and it, ultimately someone, one of his bandmates did end up getting harmed and it was him because yeah. of that. Yeah. Ugh, so God. sad. I know. It is. Sad. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I know we don't like to do true crime on this, but <laughs> I know we love to listen to true crime, but yeah. Ooh. And that's the story of the uh, more popular than Jesus controversy. Yeah, yeah. John Lennon. Wow. Wow, Terry. Nice work. Yeah, I really, I, I mean, of course I knew the, I know the context, but I did not know all those details. So, wow. Yeah, it's a lot. It's such a, right. I think mm-hmm. I knew a lot of those individual 
items like you knew, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I thought they quit touring because it was too much. And it's like, yeah, yeah but I don't yeah. this other shit. How it all linked together. I mean, ugh, crazy. I know. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Is this one I have to ask you what we're listening to? <laughs> I guess so. I think so. I think you just nailed another historical story. You are the the resonant master of this. I fucking nailed the past yet again. Yet again. Um, so to to come to the present, I have new I have a new band that has <gasps> been discovered just yeah, recently. And actually, my parents um showed me this band so my mom was watching the ellen show apparently and this band was on and performing and my parents are both working from home so she was like ow, ow, like yelling to my dad like come in here come in here you have to hear this band like she just heard this guy's voice in the background she had it on in the background when she was working and he came in and they watched them and then they like loved this guy's voice. So they looked up the album and they'd been listening to the album. So, and then they've been telling everybody. So we've been listening to it, you know, on the beach and whatever. Um, but the, the band is called black Pumas. Ooh. Yeah. So, um, just a, uh, I did like a little, a quick search just to find out a little bit about them when we first listened to them They're I think they're, they're classified as like psychedelic soul. Um, which it's not at, it's not as trippy as that makes it sound. It's pretty like it's very listenable. You don't have to be like on LSD to listen to it. Um, but well, then it's, why did I lift this stamp? <laughs> um, but it's definitely soul, and it's technically they're a duo, um, and they're called Black Pumas. Not there's no the before it, but they're a duo, and then Is they it- have. Is it just Daft Punk? Because <laughs> right, no, no, very different. Um, but they're they wear masks instead of helmets. <laughs> Duh. Duh. Um, so there's one guy who they're they're based out of Austin. So the singer um, isn't originally from there, but he had moved there and he was like doing the whole Austin six three six sixth street scene and busking and stuff and there was this guitar player who was like kind of established as like a i think he's like a studio musician he'd like you know won some grammys and stuff and he heard this the singer singing um out on the street like busking one day and i think someone told like someone told him about him like you gotta go check out this guy or whatever and this guitarist was working on some new music and then he heard this guy's voice and was like, that's perfect for the new stuff I'm working on. So they got together and got a, a backing band and yeah, but they're, it's really cool. I mean, definitely very, very, you know, soulful vocal, um, cool vibe, like very, like a couple, a couple of people were like, yeah, it's like great. It, this is like great, like fire pit music, like to listen to like around the fire, like just chilling out, like a, a warm summer night type of a thing. Like, but it's really cool. So highly, highly recommended. And I'll add, they have like some acoustic stuff online and it's really cool. They have like two female backup singers. So there's like great harmonies and stuff. So yeah, black Pumas. How about you? Um, I, so I've been, I've been having a hard time like listening to new stuff. And then a friend of mine sent me this. He was like, you have to listen to this album and it's not new. It's actually a few years old, but I hadn't listened to it yet. And it's um, by Charlotte Gainsbourg. It's called mm-hmm. Rest. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to explain it. It's like okay. indie. Uh, I can't, I cannot even explain it. I I tried. I listened to it a couple times. I'm like, how would I do this? But it's she's French. So it's like in French and English. Mm. Um, it has like an electronic feel to it. Mm-hmm. But it's... I wouldn't call it electronic. It's I cannot explain it. It's just, <laughs> everything I, you're I, saying. You're yeah. like it's this, but not that. It's, it's this, but French, I wouldn't call it that. So, but it's French Canadian. <laughs> she speaks English, but not American English. It's good, but it's I wouldn't exactly say that it's better than good. I'd say it's more popular than Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I had to. Um, but yeah, I just fucking listen to it and make up your own. Okay. Okay. Fine. What is her name again? So it's Charlotte. Charlotte. And and it's Gaines. It's probably Gainsborough or something, but I'm saying Gainsburg because I'm a fucking American. Right. Right. Um, and it's G A I N S 
B-O-U-R-G. Oh, with the O-U. All bougie with the O-U. Someone's French. Someone's fancy. I like it. Cool. Well, I'll listen to it and tell you other things that it isn't. (laughs) You could come up with a list of genres that it isn't. Yeah. And vibes that you don't get from it. That it's not. And sometimes that's easier to explain or identify. Yeah. Tell, Tell me what fruit it is. It's not a marching band. Okay. It's not a marching band and it's definitely not a grapefruit. No. Okay. It's a little radishy though. Not quite a radish. It's like mm. like a it's like a rhubarb. Oh. Okay. When baked in a pie with strawberry, acceptable. On its yeah, own, it- just kind of like a weird celery. Yeah. What the fuck? Right. <laughs> you know what? Fucking rhubarb is the honeydew of the vegetable world. Is it a vegetable or is it a fruit? I think it's a veg. It looks like celery. I assumed it, it was a fucking vegetable. All right. You, you tell us, we'll tell you, yeah. uh, what is rhubarb? <laughs> and next, next week we'll open with that. <laughs> Probably. So, okay. If you like rhubarb and you like what you hear, then <laughs> tell a friend and also make them a strawberry rhubarb pie. What? <laughs> and if you don't like rhubarb and you didn't like what you hear, Make an enemy that bottom of the rhubarb. That's just the poison part if you eat it in the wrong way. And then tell them to listen to this podcast. Beautiful. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Keep gigging. Gig Tales. Ugh. Ugh. Colors shining through. I like to sing all songs as a Z's on sorry. <laughs> you do kind of. It's yeah. nice though. <laughs> and that's why I love you. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Are you getting this? Because good. <laughs> this, was, this is a good outro. <laughs> we're sending it to a Z's. He's it. like, oh no, is that what I sound like? <laughs> Just tweet at him. Tweet all the way at him.